This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me, and today we're going to talk about Facebook and Uber and making a TV show about both of those things. My pal Mike Isaac, currently with the New York Times, has written a book called Super Pumped about Uber. That is now a limited series Showtime show made by the folks who make billions. It's going to be showing up on your television screens in a couple days or two. Talk to Mike about taking a book and making it a TV show and how that almost never happens and how it happened for him and how he has turned his second book, which he has not written, into a TV show as well pretty extraordinary. We also talk about just sort of the state of Facebook slash meta itself, which is, I think, reeling is a, is a fair word to describe what's happened to them in the last few weeks slash months, maybe years. And you're going to hear me talking to Mike Isaac right now. I know a lot of people who have written books because journalists love to write books, but I don't know anyone who has turned their best-selling book into a series on Showtime. Actually, correction, I do know one person. That person is Mike Isaac. I'm talking to him right now. Hi, Mike. Hey, hey, what's up? Mike is my former colleague, current friend. Let's see if he remains my friend by the end of this podcast. I predict Uh-oh. that he will. Anyway, congrats, Mike. You have a show. Thank you. I I remember us talking years ago. or No, I remember. I don't know if it was you or someone else who was saying, great job on getting it optioned. Don't worry. They're never going to make it into a TV show because <laughs> uh, everyone gets these things optioned. Yeah, I don't think I said that because I was also the guy who did tell you not to write the book. Because everyone writes books and none of them are successful. So I definitely would not have compounded my bad advice with more bad advice. But you okay. do. Your, sh- your your book, Super Pumped, is now a show called Super Pumped. It's on Showtime. It's made by the guys who did Billions, who do Billions, uh, Brian Koppelman, David Levine. Um, and it's premiering Sunday, days after this episode comes out. So congrats again. I'm just going to keep thanking you and congratulating you throughout the episode. But Thank I want to know how, how it all happened um, because you have really threaded a needle here um and mm. i want to talk about what the experience is like let's let's do the how it happened really quickly how did brian koppelman and david levine get their hands on your show yeah in your book and turn it into a show sure yeah so wrote the book in 2018 got it come out in 2019 as we're getting it ready to come out this is pre-pandemic as you might remember um when things were normal and we did like book tours and all that stuff I'm basically frantically, you know, they don't teach you how to promote a book quite, uh, you know, for your first time. So I'm just like, all right, got to go out to everyone I know who does like podcasts. Podcasts actually was something I targeted a lot for promotion compared to like other medium, but that's a whole other thing. Get that Uh, Kafka bump. Including this podcast. That's right. And so Brian Koppelman, who I've known for years, really just on Twitter, but like as a friend and buddy, a fun person. And I had listened to his podcast, uh, the moment. And so I'm like, all right, the billions guys, they're amazing. He does this podcast. I have, maybe I can get lucky enough to have him like read the book and maybe he wants to talk to me on his show about it. And so I send it to him cold. I didn't even like ping him or anything. I was just like, okay, well here's here. Let's send it off into the ether. And I get a 
call basically the the agent through the agents network they're like the guys are actually really interested in this book and like this is something that they think could be like a real show and i was like haha that's that's great yeah but whatever and so we actually start talking and the agents sort of do their thing and um the fun part was there was interest in hollywood once the once the book was like done i think people saw that it really lent itself visually to the screen. Yeah, and in case you haven't followed all of Mike's work or read the <laughs> book, it's it's the story of Uber, and it's a great Icarus story about really Travis Kalanick, yeah. um, a character who, if you're in tech, paid attention to tech, definitely did tech reporting, knew a lot about, but I think in the general world, maybe you had a vague idea that yeah. Uber was an icky company in some way, but probably didn't even know that. And so this is a really a... a it's a story that that a lot of people don't know, but has sort of a, a resonance and familiarity. I think. One hundred percent. I mean, even listening to the stars, you know, Joe, Joe Gordon-Levitt, um, Uma Thurman, Kyle Chandler, like as they sort of talk about it on their promotional tour, I think everyone, like you said, you know, 2017, 2018, Uber was kind of seen as this. Um, emblematic of what is bad or wrong with tech, right? You know, you have like the bro idea of bro culture, the idea of, um, you know, doing whatever it takes to get to the top, but no one, you know, Uber, Uber is also sort of this thing that's omnipresent in our lives now. And no one knows how, how it got there, how it got built. And, um, and so I think the, what I tried to do in the book at least is just sort of say, this was not an easy path. And, Travis Kalanick, you know, is not a one dimensional person. I think he's got um, a lot more depth to him and there's, there are reasons for him doing the things that he did. And that's what we get into in the show. So Koppelman and Levine, who have a deal with Showtime because they've made a hit show for them, say, yeah. we, we want to option this. And like you said at the beginning of this conversation, lots of people get their books optioned in which yeah. they get relatively small sums of money, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, and say, well, we'd like to hang on to the rights to make something here. And then usually that's as far as it goes. And I, I do know writers who've had their stuff optioned many times. The options sort of pass around. And it's it's not the worst thing in the world to get paid for, for work that you've already done, but nothing usually, it, it doesn't ever become anything. So how did it tip over from maybe this will be a show to we're making this, it's going to be a show. I, yeah. I mean, that was the, that exactly what you said was this sort of um, I think my publisher and a few other folks were like, that's great, but keep your expectations low. Because again, you know, my first experience with Hollywood options are very common and content companies sort of, I imagine it's it caught what it costs them like ten grand to go and like buy a few options or whatever, and that's it's just not, throwing not a, a bunch deal. of chips down on the roulette yes, table, like hundred percent. And then most of them will never get made or whatever. I really credit it with Brian and David and Beth Schachter, who's a another uh, one of the showrunners on the show. Like they, there's a version of this where it could have languished and never gotten made or like kicked around inside of the studio forever. But I think they. Uh, to their credit, they, they're pushing hard on billions. They're doing season after season every year. And they made time during the pandemic to open up another writer's room with a group of six or seven other people. And then the the showrunners to, and then I got to participate to sort of like talk through what this might look like. Can we create these character arcs? Can we sort of, is this a real show? But they were really convinced from the beginning, from reading the book that they wanted to do it. And I was I was surprised that that passion remain there throughout the whole time. I really credit them with making it happen. 
So you write a book. It's a successful book. You've, you've passed that gauntlet. Your book is optioned, another gauntlet. The book is turned into an actual show, another gauntlet you pass through. And then something else that is unusual about, about your case, you're actually hands-on involved. Mm. Very often they buy your thing and say thank you, and maybe your, your name is in the credits, and that's about it. But you were in that writer's room a lot. What, how, how did that come about, and what, what is being in the writer's room mean for someone like you, who, by the way, has a day job working for the New York Times? <laughs> right. Don't tell them. No, I actually did it but early in the morning before my job, if my bosses are listening. So again, another one of those things I, I had, you know, as a kid, I have a huge Pulp Fiction poster on my wall, wanted to be in the movie industry forever. Weirdly, you know, you and I talk movies whenever you see each other. It's just sort of an obsession. But uh, to get even a chance to be close to it was something really exciting and important to me. And so I sort of, when we were talking, we were negotiating, I was like, Look, if they're open to it, I would love to be a part of the the room in the capacity that I can be as a journalist and say, look, I did the research for this book. I know what happened. I've been writing about Silicon Valley for the better part, more than a decade uh, and Uber for as long as it's been around, basically. Let me be a resource, essentially. And that is if it doesn't bother Brian and David uh, and other writers because there's there's also people who come in and probably are a huge pain in the ass or like just sort of like are harping, no, you can't do this, this, and this. And again, to their credit, they were like, no, we, we want you to come in. Like you can be actually helpful to us. We can ask you questions while we're, like they're doing the creative part. They're saying, these are what the characters look like. This is what the arc of the show could look like. These are like the high points in the book that we want to touch on. Mike, what is what does it mean for um, John Doerr to talk to Steve Jobs about the iPhone? Or what does it mean about, what is Garrett Camp really like? Or what would Travis do in this situation? And this is something they would do for billions anyway. They go and reach- 100%. They go out to reach reach out to actual rich people and say, how do you behave in this <laughs> circumstance? How do you pitch this thing? They what get what all does someone money. like you eat and wear, et cetera? Yes. And in, in this case, they're just going to you with those questions. Yeah, I mean, it was great because exactly right. Like uh, on their billions work, they would all of the um, I can't say who they are, but like a lot of the big, big people in finance in, you know, all across these industries who uh, are relevant to their show, they like coming in and I think talking to these people, you know, and and. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brian and David and Beth like getting the little details right. You know, I think they really because it's like an Easter egg for people in the industry. You know, like someone in finance might be like, ha, I know I know what that's about. So, yeah, I, I basically kind of served as that that purpose for them, I think. Billions is fictional. Sometimes real people appear as themselves. But yeah. the idea is they're 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 fictionalized characters. Sometimes they're based on someone. You can sort of guess at who they are. Or they're an amalgam. These obviously are real people in the Uber story that you've talked to. What's the tension of saying, all right, here's a scene that we're taking from Mike's book. Mike Mike wasn't there, but he's talked to multiple people. He's recreating it. um, And we're just going to make a version of that scene versus we need to construct something that isn't in Mike's book and actually didn't happen, but we need it to narratively move this thing around. I, you know, I haven't read your book in a couple of years, but I don't remember there's any mention of like uh, Bill Gurley's wife sure. in, yep. in the book. But here she's a character and she spends a lot of time talking to Bill Gurley. And basically it's a way for him to explain what he's thinking and doing. Do you weigh in on that stuff or you go, oh, you guys, you guys know how to tell stories professionally. You just do whatever you want there. And I'm just come to me when you want to know what kind of shoes <laughs> Travis wears. 
Totally. No, I, I think a little bit of both. I think, well, A, I think both scenarios that you explain exist in the show. There's um, recreation of key moments that did happen. There's also, if you, it's very hard to tell a story visually if you stick entirely to a book in a compelling way. So I think the based on a true story does, uh, you know, mm -hmm. does work here and sort of to get things moving, you do have to sort of, or they have to sort of construct different ways of getting through moments like exposition and dialogue does not work the same way in a book that it does on a TV show. You need a character, unless you have like an omniscient narrator at all times explaining everything that's going on, which we have a little bit of, <laughs> which is a, another funny Easter egg. You need different ways of doing that. And so I think I would weigh in in the sense that I would be like, here's what this person is like. If you're going to, you know, we did some, I did some outside research to the stuff that wasn't in the book and say, oh, I know X about this person. Um, and if you're going to go into that, th these are like the facts of that. And then you guys can decide uh, how you're going to leverage that character to be um, explanatory in this scene or whatever. You know, you, you mentioned the narrator. I can I can spoil it because it's already been in the trades. That's Quentin Tarantino is yeah. doing uh, some voiceover work for you there. There are other cameos, which I won't spoil and uh, that I've seen in the first few episodes. Do you weigh in on any of those? Like, oh, you know, it'd be really cool if we got <laughs> this person to play this character and that'd be a great wink and a nod. Or is that all Koppelman and Levine? Oh, man, it was it was mostly them saying here's who we're thinking and me saying oh my god that would be amazing <laughs> i mean like when they mentioned quentin i was like haha there's no way on earth this guy uh -huh. would come but quentin and brian are pretty good friends and um quentin is quentin's actually like dabbling in tech land with nft stuff right now yeah. so it's it's kind of i'm not exactly I'm scrunching sure. at my face and, and making a, a <laughs> i'm not sure some, how it all works expressions there are overlaps and stuff so just the the people that they got is i mean Everyone who knows Brian says Brian knows everyone. And so I think they've done amazing jobs on casting. And then Showtime has really, really gone over the top in like making this a big, a big moment and stuff. So it's, we've yeah, been and they're really spending money on the soundtrack. There's lots yes. of expensive artists like Pearl Jam that you can't do unless yeah, you music pay awesome. them a lot of money. You're a media nerd. You're a Hollywood nerd. You got a Pulp Fiction poster above your bed. <laughs> um, but beyond that, like, what's what are you? Who's guiding you through this process? You have an agent whose job it is to protect yeah. you, but that's different than sort of telling you what to expect and how to interact with these people and when it makes sense for you to to say something and when you should just bite your tongue and go, "I'm going to let the pros do it." Did did anyone guide you through this process? I probably should have had a sort of Sherpa or mint. I probably should have called you up, honestly, and been yeah, like, "Yeah, I would have had great advice for you." <laughs> Don't do this. I think. I have largely, okay, so I will, of course, credit my agents, uh, Jason and Daniel, who have done a lot of amazing work, but yeah, you're right. Like it's, they give uh, a certain type of guidance on this type of area or like Jason knows a lot about this is how Hollywood works in this respect or whatever. I recognize the limits of what I do and like where I can be most helpful, right? And like, uh, and at the end of the day, I'm a journalist and I can sort of say, this is all the research I've done and it, it can be in service of what you guys are doing. And then I let the sort of creative folks do their thing. It is fascinating to sort of see it happen and maybe absorb some of it as it goes along. And, you know, like I, I have learned a lot, I guess, through the process, but it really has been like me navigating and 
trying not to piss anyone off and and it's gone remarkably well so far at least <laughs> so you've been learning on the job you got to you got to zoom into the writer's room yeah i know you were on set at least once because you did that instead of hanging out with me in la and I'm, <laughs> yes i'm not angry terrible. about it at all but uh i remember <laughs> i mean again like so much of what goes on in hollywood and on sets now is is described in popular media right there's all kinds of TV shows and movies and books based about this is what goes on in Hollywood. But you were there. What yeah. surprised you? What didn't you know going in that you got to see firsthand? Well, you know what's really fascinating is post-COVID, how they're doing it, which I was blown away by on how the level of precautions, like I got tested each time I went on the set. There's like waiting periods. There were masks for everyone except for the actors when they're shooting. So like they actually have done pretty intense work to keep it safe the whole time. And I don't know if that's an industry standard or not, but at least with Paramount and Showtime and the production team were like super on top of it. I um, believe that is a standard. And, and is, I think- well, I Is was that like to, everywhere? Yeah. And I, I was talking with someone who does, who's in that world and they said, they think that stuff sticks around, by the way, even post, post COVID. What like, do you mean? Like the, the, this sort of, these the level of restrictions and protocols and having a COVID wrangler or someone like that, that a lot of that will be sort of baked in because people are reluctant to take it away either out of concern or liability. Mm. And someone told me that adds 20% to the cost of the show. Holy shit. I didn't yeah. realize that. Now, maybe, um, not, maybe that's not right, but that's I mean, but like, like, it's not cheap. Like they have, there's a whole infrastructure set up around it. Every time I went, they were up here in San Francisco shooting some. And I went up and um, said hi to a few folks, talked to the producers and same thing. It was like a traveling crew, sort of like diff a whole set of onset medics and stuff. So th they're, they're usually medics, but like it was a whole other thing. So it was, that was fascinating to me, honestly. And then just how long everything takes to do. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not just whip out an iPhone and-, and, and, and <laughs> It is a scene. lot of shots. It's very impressive. I did talk to someone who I'm pretty sure was in your book, and I said, are you in the show? And they said, no, I'm friends with Brian and David, so they, they wrote me out. Uh, <laughs> did you have requests from people who you knew who are sources, who are characters, who said, I'd like to be in the show in one way, or please make sure that I'm not, or mm. I'm concerned about my treatment? I'm assuming that Travis Kalnick didn't weigh in directly one way or other. You didn't talk to him directly for your book. Was he involved? Yeah. Did he lob any requests or demands in? Uh, yeah, so Travis did not participate in the book and didn't and made it clear they didn't want to, you know, I've had a standing sort of invite to talk to Travis for years sure. now, basically, and would happily talk to him uh, any day this week, actually, before the premiere. That would be wonderful. I think for him, at least, it's this sort of, I want to put this behind me. Um, <laughs> definitely probably don't want to be watching the show every week. I mean, as you know from watching the first few episodes like media is a part of this uh show it's a part of the book it's a part of how things actually played out and so i had to make choices anyway in the book on who's going to be featured who's not going to be featured and that's always tricky keeping mm -hmm. people safe keeping like the folks who talk safe or comfortable i never thankfully i never had any requests saying please don't put me in I, well actually i take that back i had request saying please don't put me in there, in there that i ignored because i was just like sorry you are too integral to the story but thankfully there weren't folks who i really wanted to put in but felt that i couldn't for safety reasons or whatever i think i kept and it. there were no legal issues i remember in the in the social network there's lots and lots of real names and characters and then that scene where my, mark zuckerberg 
uh, goes to the VC firm and his flip flops and flips them off. That's famously Sequoia Capital, but they're not referenced directly in the movie. I've always wondered why that didn't happen. Is there anyone who, for whatever reason, you guys felt, oh, we got to have a pseudonym here because we're going to get in (laughs) trouble or we don't want to bump into this problem? I didn't know that about the, that was uh, the Sequoia moment. That's really funny. I think they, they use most of the real life folks. There are a few characters that are amalgams mostly for storytelling purposes and for um, just sort of like combining a lot of different sort of threads into one person. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, This actress who plays a a reporter character in the show is kind of like three or four different people um, and does it really well. And so I, I, there was not a moment where that I recall or that I was present for where we're like, Oh, we can't do this person because we're going to get destroyed or something. I think it was more like, how do we make this work in service of the story? And, um, and then there are also like some real people who show up in there too. Again, I won't spoil it, but some real folks as well. There are some real folks in there. Um, (laughs) I won't spoil it either. So, the show's going to air on Sunday. You go back to your corner. If you don't, you are <laughs> you are working on another book. This one is about a company formerly known as Facebook. Mm. Um, and you have now turned that one into a TV show, even though you haven't written a word. So explain <laughs> how that works. Hey, you don't know how much I've written yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's a... You wrote uh, a proposal? I, guess, <laughs> I have written words. I just, it's, it is in process. But I think okay. the... There, there is treatment. There is actually writing there that I sold this on. I mean, you and I have been writing about Facebook for, again, years now, more than a decade, um, back when we were at All Things D and Recode. It's a fascinating company. It's a very long arc of a company. I still think that the Facebook people know, most people know, is from Aaron Sorkin and David Fincher, right? I think that's the pop cultural version of Facebook yes. that people know. Yeah. It's one of the best movies ever made, and, and it's about Facebook, so... It's a great movie. No one has been able to make... Everyone also always wants to make The Social Network too, right? Like, you mm-hmm. see a zillion pitches in Hollywood for any tech movie like that. So there's there's that aspect of it. But part of it is I just feel like I have a Facebook book in me. I've wanted to do it for a very long time. I feel like it's a part of my... Having written about the company for 12 years now, um, I have a lot to say that... I think there have been bits and pieces of out there, you know, and some really good books done already. Uh, some of my colleagues uh, wrote up with Sheer and Cecilia wrote a really good mm-hmm. book last year. Which will be a TV um, show. Which will also be a TV show. Um, so uh, I think there's just a lot there that I want to do before eventually doing something else. So you go out and you said, I'm going to write this book. And just to fill in the gaps, Brian Koppelman and David Levine are also turning that book into <laughs> a series on Showtime, they've announced it. They announced it at their uh, at, at Paramount's Investor, Investor Day. Day. So they have bought that book unseen. Did you conceive? Oh, I'm going to write the book, and it'll be a show at the same time. Or how, how does that process work? Yeah, I, I it was great timing because well, so first of all, Super Pumped is an anthology series, right? So each different uh, season, there's a book called Super Pumped. Right. Well, this is, <laughs> that's the other thing. The title, the, the, they're still working out title stuff. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's going to be uh, still super pumped, but yeah. yes, the show in, in its uh, entirety is an anthology series. First season, Uber, second series now going to be on uh, second season going to be on Facebook. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the name stuff is going to be. They'll figure that out. Okay. I basically, you know, Brian and David, we talk a lot. 
I had mentioned to them that this was something I'd been thinking about with no expectation or anything. It was just like, like just sort of. Small I'm talk. thinking about writing this book. Not, yeah. not I've not, I'm going to write this book. Well, it's, it's, it was like, this is a book I'm going to do, but I need to get off my ass and write the proposal because I remember how awful it was to write the first book and I need to get into gear to write the next one. And so when I finally did that, basically, we just sort of raised the possibility, oh, could this be the second season? Is there enough there? And they were, they're really interested in Mark and Cheryl. Cheryl, uh, Cheryl is a undercovered, I think, figure in a lot of different parts of it. Everyone's obsessed with Mark, but I think there's a lot for Cheryl too. And basically they knew they wanted to do another season. They, it, I was just like, look, this is something I'm working on. We worked really well together. I would love to work with you guys again, if you're at all interested mm-hmm. in, but, it, but had no expectations. And thankfully it worked out. And Amy Israel had a showtime, super supportive. David Nevins, super supportive the whole time. So how is that going to affect your writing and reporting? You do the first book. Yeah. You want to make it cinematic because that's what all writers say and aspire <laughs> to. And you did a great job. And, you know, you have this one in a hundred chance that maybe something comes of it later on. But you're writing a book. Here you're writing a book. You know it's going to be a TV show. Is that influence sort of how you're going to structure it, how you're thinking about making scenes, what kind of story you want to tell. I mean, just um, is it that much more pressure? Or is it like, oh, no, I already know. We're good. This is this is going to be on Showtime in four years, so I, I don't have to worry about whether that's going to happen. I definitely think there's more pressure. <laughs> um, I mean, again, like before it was just sort of like, if it gets made, it gets made. So now it's like, oh, God, it, it will likely get made. So... Uh, the heat is on. I think the, I think I would probably write it the same, you know, to be honest, like going through this process has helped me on how I think about characters and structure even more in a different way, if that makes sense. Like before, you know, you can kind of do things with characters in books that might not work for the screen, but now I'm like, okay, this is, these are the types of people we need in a book to a make the book compelling b maybe it translates better to screen but like just sort of structurally and character wise and and exploring different types of people and those relationships i think can inform how i write it more and that you know obviously still sticking to reality like uh, you know that is what I, my job is and that is what my what i do but i do think that i think about it in a different way and in you know who are the most compelling figures and what are the most compelling story arcs and eventually how does that make its way to to the screen so it definitely definitely affected it like we've mentioned you have a day job you work at the new york times and your main job is to write about facebook yeah any complications about covering facebook day to day when you are going to write a book about facebook that is also going to be a tv show does the times have any issues or concerns that you needed to address does facebook bring this up when they're angry at you or or maybe (laughs) not even angry they're just concerned about sort of how you're thinking about all of this no i think a totally fair question i think we we talked through that absolutely as this was going on i think you know who's the who's the we uh, me and and folks at the New York Times editors, uh-huh. folks who deal with special projects at the New York Times. It's it's you know what's most important to the Times and to their credit is like a you have a day job which I do and all all of the the book and TV stuff is done 
Ugh, unfortunately, on nights and weekends, but uh, I, and and early mornings. But I, but like they said, a this is your main job, which I agree it is. And then b, um, just stick to what's real. And you know that's what even divorced from any. Please, please don't make anything up in the New York. Yeah, Times. exactly. I mean, okay. that's what they would tell me anyway. Yeah. But um, in in take all the Hollywood part out of it this is what the rules are anyway for, for doing books as a New York times reporter. And they've had these discussions many times with people. Um, I think the, the way that it worked for me on super pumped was that I had basically done all this reporting on a company and a lot of the book was retrospective. And then I basically stopped writing about Uber as the book was coming out or whatever. But I think even if I hadn't stopped writing about Uber, I think the, the fact that it was covering this certain era of it didn't really didn't c- come into conflict with my day job. I think with Facebook, the current way of things playing out is probably going to be like the last section of the book. There's sort of like this is the direction things are going in and the history, the future is playing out as I'm writing it, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't think it um, the sort of past coverage and territory that's coming up is not going to. Uh, come into conflict with what I do daily, which is sort of write about what's going on with Facebook right now. Um, and again, I think the, uh, as far as the TV stuff is concerned, you know, I, I told them, look, my role is consultant and uh, steward of the facts. And then I check, um, check myself at the door when the creative team goes and does whatever they want to do. And I think that uh, hopefully Facebook uh, uh, Meta, I guess now understands that and respects that. I've had conversations with them saying this is what my role is in that capacity, and um, the book is, you know, is something else basically. You know, when the social network was coming out, it was something they were quite concerned about. It sure. was a real issue for them, and they eventually decided to just sort of grin and bear it. Here, here they have other issues occupying them at the moment. Um, they've had a huge <laughs> swath of their their market value taken out real questions about how well their ad, uh, their money-making machine, their ad-targeting money-making machine, you know, yep. unrivaled except by Google, has a serious problem now. As a New York Times beat reporter, what, what's your assessment of just sort of the mood? Mm. We all had a chuckle there because Mark Zuckerberg called in all hands uh, a week or so ago and declared that uh, they have new principles and they should also all refer to themselves as meta-mates. <laughs> It seemed to be a bit of a hey, ignore what just happened in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, We're, this is our this is our marching orders. How is that sort of effort to like, all right, let's all focus and bear down, going over at Facebook slash Meta? So yeah, the MetaMates thing was great. Uh, I I think it is, I think it's a tough time for them. I think they are in a period of transition. I had my uh, annual employee review meeting with my boss yesterday and uh, we talked about what I would be thinking about as the year moves forward. And I think transition is a huge thing for Facebook right now, for Meta right now, right there. there, And I think it's also a thing where we might look back on this in five years and say, is this a big turning point for the company, for the business, for which direction they're going in, you know, because there are a lot of question marks around their business. Their ad machine with the changes to iOS with the upcoming changes to what Android might do, the the their targeting is not going to be the same as it used to be, right? And that's a big deal for a world going mobile where mobile ads are 
some something like 90% of their entire uh, business, something like that. I'm trying to remember their last earnings. Yeah, and they're still going to do, uh, I think, $110 billion. Correct. And it's, it's still going to be a fantastic money machine, but Correct. it won't be as good, at least in Correct. the near future. And, like, look, the stock market works on um, potential future earnings, right? Like, they, what they price in is, are this company's best days ahead of it or not anymore? And there are at least a lot of people right now betting that that might not be the case. Maybe right. So or, internally at Facebook, are people running? Are they like, yeah. well, we've 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 you know, a, there are people who will reference. Well, we had this with mobile and our IPO. That right. Twenty eleven, twenty twelve. I assume that the major, you know, the overwhelming majority of the hundred was it forty thousand people? Forty thousand people. Sixty eight, sixty seven thousand right, people. I'll now. just keep throwing out a number until I get it right. <laughs> uh, the majority of the sixty eight to seventy thousand people who work there came in the last few years. They don't yes. know any of this history. Um, yes. So, how concerned are they? And how concerned about is Facebook about retaining them? Yes. Um, a lot of these folks have a lot of their net worth wrapped up in Facebook's share price, and now they have a lot less money. Yes. Um, a few things. One, the transition to mobile, they love making that analogy because it gives uh, the street and you know their peers sort of an idea of, oh, well, they navigated this. They can do this now. You know, like They can mm-hmm. do anything. Mobile was real. <laughs> Metaverse is not yet quite real, or and VR is still a niche hobbyist plaything. Right. right. The analogy was with mobile. We have to phones are here. We have to adapt to them. This overarching theory that they've started spreading for the last nine months of we're moving yes. to the metaverse, but that's goggles and headsets and a world that literally does not exist right now and may 100%. never exist. And if it does, it's five years or ten years or twenty years out. All the stuff of sort of. Mark and um, and Andrew Bosworth, a uh, um, CTO, and their their sort of dreams, and a lot of uh, techies' dreams after reading um, what many people consider to be dystopian science fiction books. I think there's that is like the dilemma. People inside of Facebook, there's mixed feelings. There are old timers who are like, "We got this." True believers who drink the Kool Aid, who might like whenever Mark Zuckerberg posts. You see them in his comments saying like, yeah, we could do this, fuck yeah, blah, 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 which is, is, is what it is. And then um, there are people who I talk to who are like, I don't know if I signed up for this or like, I don't know if I want to be at a metaverse company. This thing that I like signed up for a year ago is very much not the same thing that I'm doing now or that like, or if you want to be on the like successful train up inside of the company, like the path up, you know, the division that's getting the most attention from the boss. Uh, maybe, maybe you don't want to go work over there. Maybe you don't want to go work on VR and AR and that stuff. You, maybe you're an ads guy in on newsfeed who was like, Hey, I liked my job. What is happening? You know, now it's so, just called feed. I know. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. They dropped the news. <laughs> that's right. No, no more feed. news. That bodes ill for us, honestly. <laughs> so I think there's real tension. I think Facebook is also, the comp packages that I hear getting thrown around are insane. They are really trying to retain people and are just really do these big counter offers for when Google or Apple or Microsoft come calling for a lot of or Instacart or Instacart. Yeah, right. right or exactly. now any of the Web3 crypto companies you've written oh about God. that. It's a big yes. brain drain going there. And it's Huge. partly because people are interested in the tech and the opportunity and partly because it seems like you could make an enormous amount of money in a short amount of time if you if you hit the right lottery number. That's right. And I think the I think we've gone through this. The web three stuff cannot be underscored enough on how much it's affecting 
I think a lot of companies, especially Facebook, but a lot of big companies where folks are looking around, either they have the money FOMO or they're saying, this is a once in a generation transformational shift. Why am I going to be a mid-level PM inside of a giant company when I could Optimizing be getting on ads. the ground floor? 100%. Changing, yeah. If I change something a third of a percent, I've done my job for the year and like that's great. Or I can go out and if this startup blows up, uh, I can always come back right, and get the same amount of stupid money for doing the same job I was doing before. So there's really no downside for a lot of these folks who feel like they can go out and be entrepreneurial. And and frankly, Facebook has sort of, you know, uh, celebrated this entrepreneurial spirit for people for a long time. So um, whether they believe that or not, I don't know. But like, I, th I think they just sort of say, yeah, we support entrepreneurs. We get it. If you're going to go leave, da -da 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 -da. but here's a dump truck full of money we're backing up to your house. Maybe you want to stay a bit longer. So it's mixed. It's definitely mixed internally. They're losing some folks. They're spending a lot to keep other folks. It's kind of all over the place. This could be a good book one day. Hey, man, let's. I just need to go write it and stop talking to you. <laughs> Mike, Isaac, I love that you talk to me. I love that you're my pal. I love your success. Um, I'm a big shade and fraud guy, but uh, uh, it's also great to celebrate good people um, having good things happen to them for good Thanks, reasons. Buddy. So congrats. Thank um, you. This is Mike Isaac, and this is Peter Kafka saying, I like Mike Isaac. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks again to Mike and Jelani and Travis for producing and editing the show. Our sponsors for bringing the show to you for free for zero dollars and zero cents. And thanks to you guys for listening and telling other folks about the show, pitching me ideas on the show. I listen to those pitches. I read the pitches. Thank you. And this is Recode Media. We'll see you next week.